Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pocket Now Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Vergara. What's going on, everybody? We have Nick Gray of Fandroid back, uh, and we are going to talk about the iPhones. Yes, I know, editor-in-chief of Fandroid here to talk about Apple products. Uh, but there's a lot to talk about with these. Um, well, let me take that back. There may not be a ton of new things uh, when it comes to the iPhones and even the Apple Watch and the AirPods, aside from a couple of key features or key announcements, like, for example, the Apple Watch Ultra. Um, we, we do talk about that a little bit. Uh, but when it comes to the iPhones, there was like one aspect that I really wanted to talk about more than anything else, and it was the fact that there's no more SIM tray in the phone for US phones. That's really odd to me, and honestly, it like sparked a real reaction from me during the actual announcement that I tweeted out and everyone had a big conversation on my Twitter about it. Uh, so now Nick and I are going to have that conversation as well, uh, especially as people who travel a lot. I figured that he and I would have a lot of insight uh, in different directions as to uh, whether we think this is a good move. I get it that there are going to be people who view this as just like, oh, it's making life a little bit easier for most people who activate their phone and then never think about it again. But then on the other side, um, I am someone who travels a lot and I know a a lot of people who do rely on local sims uh, whenever they go to places where they don't want to pay those in those insane international roaming charges so things like that are discussed in the first like part of this episode and then we talk about the rest of the announcements from apple and we end this episode with a little bit of talk about ifa may not have been the biggest show in, for, in terms of the tech world and things that we would talk about on the podcast but there were some interesting announcements and nick goes through them since he was there in berlin with all that said though let's go ahead and get into this episode of the Pocket Now Weekly Podcast. Thank you so much for hanging out with us in this episode and enjoy. The thing is, there's actually not a ton to react to because most of what we're seeing, this was all like a mobile event. So we had the iPhones, we had the new Apple Watch, including the Apple Watch Ultra. Everyone thought it was going to be called Pro. It wasn't. Um, and then the new AirPods Pro 2, I suppose is that, well, that's what they called it, the second generation AirPods Pro. Um, the thing is, all of them, as we may have come to expect, they're all pretty iterative. But I think, though, I can't start this without at least somewhat expressing my, I'll call it worry. I won't call it frustration because I know a lot of people are on different sides of this issue. Um, but one of my tweets is going viral right now because I was lamenting the fact that Apple removed the SIM tray on all the iPhones in the U.S., so we're talking from iPhone 14 to the iPhone 14 Plus, they brought back the Plus name, to the iPhone for, uh, 14 Pro and Pro Max. They're all eSIM, and that's it. I, it's, it's interesting, because on Twitter right now, I'm getting an education into what is available for people who are going to deal with that. Um, I'll get into that a little bit more later, but my worry was that for people who constantly travel and are using their U.S. phones and they go to places where eSIM is not even a term that most people know or understand, it's all about swapping those SIM cards. Like, we have done it before. We, we used to do this before the days of Google Fi and whatnot. But we used to go to, like, Berlin or Barcelona and go straight to, like, a kiosk to get SIM cards so that we had data during those trips. That's still a thing. Like, it's not as if that ever went away just because eSIM exists. And even then, like... We are the tech literate. We are the people who really understand tech. We're the enthusiasts. We know how to navigate all of that. Imagine the people who can't navigate that right now, and now they have to navigate the eSIM landscape. I don't know. I, 
I'm trying not to get on a too big of a rant because there are two sides, not two sides. There are a lot of nuances to this whole move, but I wanted to get your thoughts on it, especially since you've, you travel a lot and you've had to deal with the SIM card situation wherever you go to. So I'll say this. I actually just got back from traveling. I was in Berlin for IFA last week. And I will say this though, while you're talking about swapping out SIMs and, you know, trying to get the best deal possible, because that's usually what you're looking for when you're swapping out SIMs so that you do not step into international roaming territory, which historically has been really, really expensive. Yes. That's no longer the case anymore. You know, going from Verizon, AT&T, and especially T-Mobile, and you mentioned Fi as well, which is an MVNO, um, international roaming, especially data charges, really isn't a blip on the radar anymore. And I'm actually on an older T-Mobile plan where I have to pay for one week of data. But I had to pay eight ninety nine, uh, and they have different categories based off of how old your plan it was or whatever. I paid eight ninety nine for a week to have five gigabits of data, which historically that would have been if I was using that much data, I would have had a charge of like one hundred and fifty dollars using that much data. But now they're like, you get into the other country, you get a text message, and it says, "Hey, you're on T-Mobile, but you're roaming internationally. Do you want to add high speed data? And if you don't want to add the high speed data, it's complimentary. There's no charge at all." So, yeah, I get your point, but honestly, I would see that as an issue for the tech literate, not the tech illiterate, because the tech illiterate would simply click on the message in their text message and say, yes, give me data and be done with it. They wouldn't. I, go I would a, hope so. I would hope they so. They wouldn't because... go to a kiosk and look for a SIM card. They don't most. Let's be honest. Most people get their SIM card inserted at the carrier store and don't even know what a SIM card is. I get that. And right? and you, you, you seem to be on the side of those who understand all of the options. And that's and that's fine. There are a lot of people in my tweet retweets and all of that stuff that are saying like, well, you can do this. You can do this. You can do this. And I'm like, good. It's good that those options are there. But all I'm saying is that there are still tiers to plans in carriers and not all of them include automatic international data and all of that um for a low price like it could still be that they're you're not, paying so i will say t-mobile is like the exception with the incredibly low price even at&t and verizon which right now those are your only three main options you know at&t verizon and t-mobile you know, discounting the MVMOs, which maybe make up about 15% of the market. So the 85% of the people that are on the three major carriers have pretty cheap or if not free international roaming options right now. So if this would have been three years ago, or maybe even just two years ago, because Verizon just changed its plans within the last 18 months, it would have been a completely different issue. But now with the cheap international roaming, because specifically with 5G, Verizon phones actually have network bands that can work in international markets because before that really honestly wasn't a thing. The thing is, are we are we sure that that's that's really the case right now though? Because I have a bunch of people telling me on Twitter right now that it is still like ten dollars a day on Verizon and AT and T. T Mobile, yes, it is free, but that's capped at like 
HSPA plus speeds or 4G, whatever, like lower 4G plus, uh, whatever you want to call it. Like there's still caps to these things. And it's different different than getting a prepaid card somewhere and just like using that up without having to just be charged for whatever. Because here's one other thing. And this is a a very specific situation. Issa and I have had to deal with this before. But there are times when we have used my Google Fi um, data sims, which are, again, physical sims. Uh, And that's another thing. You can't put a a data sim in an iPhone anymore because you can't do eSIM on a data sim. Uh, So that's another issue. But also, it's... um, on iPhones, they are always automatically uploading to the iCloud. You have to you have to actually like make the effort to turn off the automatic photos uploads. We burned through like 10 to 15 gigs in no time at all when Isa and I went to I think it was Japan, and it and that was and we're talking about a country that might have a ton of eSIM options, but we were just using our current carriers. Granted, that was Google Fi, but we burned through all of that data already because we didn't realize that the iCloud upload was still on. That's it's not something that a text message from a carrier can actually direct you to do. And then by the end of that, you're paying a ton of money uh, because of their data caps. Um, not to mention, like, not to mention on certain carriers, it's probably not even going to be a good speed uh, when you're abroad, depending on the country that you're going to. I don't know. Um, I'll say this. There are more and more eSIM services being provided every single day. Um, I know the major carriers over in Europe all offer it. Um, yeah, I, I, I get your your point as to, well, we lost an option now. Um, I come back to, it's the same, it's kind of the same with the 3.5 millimeter headphone jack. Uh, yes, it, it's no longer there. We don't have the option anymore, but when was the last time I owned a pair of headphones that were using a 3.5 millimeter headphone jack that I wasn't using to plug into my laptop or uh, my PC? Everything that I've used in my smartphone since 2009 was wireless, and so they took away a feature that I wasn't using anymore. Um, looking at my personal travel experience over the last five years, this would have never been an issue. I haven't purchased a you know, burner data SIM when I've traveled internationally ever. And, you know, I lived in Europe. I lived in the States. I was traveling to Europe. So I, I think it's it's an inconvenience for some. For 95% of the people, I think it's going to be a non-issue. If they, if they decide to just take whatever their carrier gives them, sure. Um, it's just... I don't know. I think, but even my... like even if they do travel international and they want to switch to another eSIM provider, they go into the eSIM menu just like you can on the iPad. Like this has been happening for years now. You can travel internationally, and you know you have this eSIM options where, on. But that's on where my cellular. argument about the tech illiterate comes in. Like I, I've tried to switch eSIMs between Pixels and iPhones because they're the main ones that will take Google Fi. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still not a very good experience, and like the last, and I'm I'm using eSIM on here. It took like six tries, and it just wasn't. It, no matter what, it, I don't care what QR code they gave me or anything like that. There were some people in my tweets that were saying like, just scan the QR code and you're good to go. I wasn't. It took me so many tries, and I had to. And you still have to go into deep settings in the SIM area and put in that whole H two G two blah 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 H two G two thing. Like you still have to do all that crap, mm-hmm. and this is all stuff. It's like when. It's like when this is kind of this is a this is a somewhat bad example because it's talking about antiquated tech when we're trying to talk about the future. Um, it's like whenever the printer stops working in my home, 
there's no way they'll be able to figure out TCIPs and all those other things. Like it's not easy, no matter how many layers of ease they that, that HP in the case of our printer or Apple or whatever, uh, Windows, whatever they do to make it easier, there's still, once troubleshooting has to happen, it's a nightmare. And right now with eSIMs, I've, I've, I've had other people hit me up in the tweets saying like, I'm a Verizon employee. They tell us to do physical SIM as much as possible because there's always a problem with eSIM. I get you that like, it's gotten to a point where with the 3.5 millimeter headphone jack, they did it for a while. Uh, they, they did it and for a while it was a big pain point. I think it still is for some people and I totally get why. I feel like the growing pains for this are gonna hurt more for certain people. And, I, and that's what I worry about. Because the other implication that I keep thinking of is where Apple goes, other phone companies go too. Can you imagine like not being able to put data sims in any of your phones from Google Fi or from any of these other carriers like I do all the time? I have three phones because two of them are data sims. What if Samsung and Motorola and everybody just start to move to eSIMs only? And it's, it, it, I don't know, that blows my mind that like that could happen. And now switching between phones, like people like us, uh, phone reviewers, now have like a huge crutch. We have a huge crutch that we have to, to, to deal with. I think, I think we'll survive. We will survive. I'm just saying it's a nuisance. (laughs) It's an inconvenience at most. I don't think it's a deal breaker for anything. No one's not going to buy one of these phones because they have only eSIM options. Um, I don't know. Like, uh, granted, we have to wait and see how the experience actually is. Hopefully, they've beefed up the user experience so that it's easier. And as you said, sometimes you run into issues switching from eSIM to eSIM. Uh, if they can fix that, uh, it's a step in the right direction, making it a smoother transition to this new world that we're going to be living in. But I don't think it's going to be keeping anybody from saying, hey, I, I want the iPhone 14 Pro, but it's eSIM only. I'm not going to do that. Uh, if they want the I- iPhone 14 Pro, they're still going to buy the iPhone 14 Pro. Maybe so. Um, we're, we're, it, are, just, are you? Uh, you're the one complaining about this. Are you going to be getting the I- iPhone 14 Pro? I'm getting a review unit, but I'm still mad that. But are, like, are, are you still like? Yeah, it's going to be a review unit, but you're still going to use it, right? Like you're still going to take it with you when you travel internationally. I don't know, to be completely honest, no? because I'm going to be forced to make that the main SIM from Google Fi, because that's the one that will actually take eSIM. That's the only eSIM you can have is the main SIM, not the data SIMs. Like, I, I actually have, I prefer, I mean, right now it's not the case, um, but usually I prefer to have a full SIM in an Android phone that I'm reviewing and put a data SIM in the iPhone. That's not going to be possible anymore. I can't use an iPhone as a secondary phone anymore. It has to be one of the main phones. And how am I going to be able to do that? I have to pay for a whole new plan on a different carrier? Like, that's... You just add a line. I could, that's 55 extra dollars no, <laughs> on adding, Google Fi. A, well, that's Google Fi. Yeah. On T-Mobile, adding a line is 10 bucks. Yeah, well, on Google Fi, it's 55. But well, it's, it's time to switch because Google Fi is 100% T-Mobile, so time <laughs> no, to they switch. Have, they have better international. Um, like, they have full access international stuff. They're for for well, international, T- Google Fi is amazing. T-Mobile does now, too. At T-Mobile lower speeds. Now. No, at, at full 5G speeds. Well, I'll have to check on that. But Start, I'm starting, still... starting just like a month or two ago. Yeah, they switched it up. So well, the, the new plans. That, so I was talking about me being grandfathered in on an older plan. And those are my rates. But if you have a newer uh, unlimited plan from T-Mobile, uh, they're throwing in free international roaming. Um, that, 
Miriam, uh, Joar, and I were talking about it when we were in Berlin. It's one of those things that you have to keep up with all of these carrier plans because they're constantly changing. And yeah, international roaming is free now on T-Mobile, even at high 5G speeds. And within the next uh, year, 18 months, they're also getting satellite link with Starlink. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can be out in the ocean and make a phone call and get data out in the ocean. So, I mean, T-Mobile's doing some crazy things. Um, but I mean, regardless, it's, it's, it's an inconvenience at most. I think there's going to be a little bit of transitional pains for those who do SIM swap on a regular basis. Yeah. Hopefully they're beefing up the software experience to make it as seamless as possible because, you know, it could be that they've solved the software experience and it's as seamless as it is with an eSIM or a regular SIM. I don't know. To me, to me, this is one huge precedent. And I think, I think it'll, I think it's going to be more than just a transitionary period for a number of people. It's going to be actually painful because like they, there is, it is iPhones, or rather Apple, I should say. Apple, I get it. They want everyone locked into their ecosystem and everything like that. But the the experience of being a multi-phone user is a thing. It's a thing. And like having only the ability to have one SIM at any time, or like you said, to pay more money to have multiple lines, $10 is nothing to sneeze at at somebody who doesn't have a whole lot of money to spend but still needs multiple phones for multiple reasons. Like it's still not, it's not insignificant. So like that's... That's my yeah, problem. Yeah, but here. people pay for ten dollars coffees like two times. <laughs> You're always a day. the frugal one. You're always the one that's like, well, no, then stop no, paying no. for coffee. <laughs> I, I, I get that, but people pay ten dollars for coffee twice a day. I think they can afford ten bucks a month. Still, like, but still, it's the principle of it all. That's the thing. It's the principle of it all. And I find it funny that you, the editor in chief of Fandroid, is actually like okay with this because, like, <laughs> you know, I, I've stopped arguing about stupid things that really don't matter to the majority of people i mean yeah it's, i don't think it's, it, it's i don't think it's not the majority of people that's the thing i think there are a I, lot of people who don't even know what the hell an eSIM is and now we, we're gonna have to have this period where everyone has I to think, get educated on how to actually navigate all of it see the flip side is i think there's more people that don't even know what a sim card is that you tell them what's an eSIM and they're like what's a regular sim and so, the but then of those are, are the cl- same people who go abroad end up. No, okay. th- those the, are the same people who have no clue that they can buy a SIM abroad. They just get there, they get a text message from their carrier, and it says, "This is your charges for the day," and they say, "Okay." That's what I'm saying. They're they're spending more than they need to. Yeah, but they would do it anyways. Uh, they they they're not the ones that would hassle like those aren't the people that would know to use google translate to go to a store to find and talk to somebody about a sim card and find out which one has the best data plan those aren't the people that it's going to be affecting like it's affecting you who knows that there are other options it's not going to affect anybody who doesn't know that there are other options i i know and i I, I think that's the that's the average consumer they don't know there's another option they should first of all they should that's that's our job they don't that's our job is to educate them. It's also these companies' jobs because I will give some credit to a few eSIM companies, a few eSIM global companies, including Aerolio, Aerolo, Aerolo, that um, Aerolio. So what is it? A pasta? Um, the, <laughs> the Aerolo um, that that said, you know, you can buy one of our global eSIM plans 
and it, you can only you, you can use it on demand and you know it'll get set up as one of the eSIMs on your iPhone um, or any other phone that supports eSIM. That's one thing about this whole setup is that um, the the iPhone 14 and all of the subsequent models um, can store multiple eSIMs. So yes, you can swap between them and that's fine. Um, I, I will I will say it's nice that they that those options are still are already around. But like I said on one of my tweets, I say get that marketing money. Like start educating people about that because I've been in those situations where just going abroad anywhere and I end up using my data and I end up paying an arm and a leg. And maybe that's getting better and I hope it is. But this is what I mean by like growing pain. It's still going to be. It's this is still a precedent that kind of worries me not just because of my use case scenario where i like to swap sims between phones i have to as a freaking phone reviewer but it's still something that i i think of my parents and i think of people who like because even my parents they went to switzerland last week and they couldn't figure out how to get data the text message was there it said to like hit it um and to you know like do these one or two things on their iphones to make sure they have access but they didn't do it until like a week into their trip like, it's still not something that's easy for the average consumer, not for everyone, not across the board. So that's my worry. Yeah, well, uh, the flip side is if they are they on AT&T or Verizon? T-Mobile. They're on T- well, even T-Mobile. If they took their SIM card out of their T-Mobile iPhone that they probably purchased from T-Mobile? Uh, no. I hope okay. Not. Well, if they had purchased it from T-Mobile, it would have been SIM locked. Oh no! And if they... I would never give them an. Un... I would never give them <laughs> but, a locked phone. Personally. But that's the thing. <laughs> Most people have a SIM locked device purchased directly from the service provider, which means they put in a SIM card from another service provider, and then they have to walk through the whole process of SIM unlocking their phone before they can actually use the device. I mean, so we're a little bit different where we get review devices or we purchase unlocked devices. The average person isn't doing that. They're buying it from their service provider, and it is SIM locked until you walk through that SIM unlock process. So another whole step of issues to deal with on that front that has nothing to do with the eSIM process, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Like, yeah, it's it's going to be an issue for for some people. I I don't think. I honestly think we're we're spending way too much time on this this one issue. I, I couldn't get so over it. I honestly couldn't. About. I honestly couldn't get over it because like even Jaime, Jaime's tweet, um, he goes in and out of South uh, of Latin America all the time, and it's it it's something that he has to do. And he's also a you know I I get that sometimes when we like kvetch about all of these things, it's because we're in a privileged position or in a position where like it only affects us. But there are implications to all of this. And that's what I worry about the most. And of course, the number one implication when it comes to any Apple event is that other carriers or carriers, other manufacturers will follow suit. So that's that's where I get a little bit worried. Like is this, um, while eSIM can be the future and I enjoy the fact that eSIM is convenient and it is something that I can use, like what if every phone is an eSIM and now I have to have multiple lines? <laughs> like how is this gonna freaking work? So that's that's my, that's that that's coming from like a personal standpoint, but also I'm trying to empathize and like kind of extrapolate it to other people because that's what we should do. That's what we should do as analysts, as people who actually look at the market and think about all the users that this will affect. And also, this is also only for U.S. Um, phones, which is kind of a big, I don't know, that's a big thing for Apple to say is like, you know, oh, the U.S. is a first world country that is able to like handle all of that. But 
nowhere else really has that infrastructure. Well, a, a lot of places do, but a lot of places don't is what is the point that has been being made on my thread. Um, so yeah, I couldn't not talk about that at length because it, it does worry me. It does worry me. Um, but in any case, let us know how any of you feel. You can always hit us up. I mean, the show is back, so head over to Pocket Now, talk about it, like mention Pocket Now and all of that. Um, we can talk about some of the other stuff that was announced today. Um, I think the main thing that I, the main thing that we always end up going to when it comes to all of these uh, new releases, no matter what smartphone it is, is the cameras. Um, so I only have like one main thing that I can kind of say is kind of cool. Um, a 48 megapixel sensor, sure, I like that. Uh, quad pixel technology, sure. Um, they're and still it, giving you 12 megapixel shots with it, a 48 megapixel sensor. Exactly. So they're doing something that other cameras have done, which is they have many megapixels in one sensor, and then they kind of do a crop mode. That's what the 2X is, guys. So like, <laughs> I know a lot of people are saying like, oh, the 2X is back. You're cropping into the main sensor. It may not be that much of a difference in terms of quality because you're cropping into 48 megapixels and it's the same amount of pixels, ultimately 12 megapixel shots. But that's what they're doing. It's, it's a little bit of trickery that we've seen in a lot of like Chinese phones and many other Android phones, actually. Um, it's not just in China. But that's what they're doing. So you have one wide 2X, what was it, 4X now, um, with like a proper telephoto. I just wanted to point that out, that while it's cool, that we have a higher power sensor, they're also still doing the same quote-unquote trickery <laughs> that a lot of Android phones do. Yeah, I mean, with with this setup here, it's essentially giving us what the Pixel uh, 6 Pro gives us uh, within the camera itself. So you, you have the main sensor. Google gives you a 2X option, which is a digital zoom on that main sensor. And then they have a proper 4X zoom, uh, a periscope. Uh, is this a periscope camera? I don't, I'm not sure if I got that or not. Or I don't they... remember um, iPhone 14 Pro telephoto. Let's see. I, yeah, don't, I, think mean, it was, I don't think it was a periscope. But yeah, see. so there, we've seen a couple devices that aren't a periscope camera with that 4X uh, zoom camera. Typically anything past 4X we've seen at uh, a periscope camera, which means you're able to use a larger sensor. If they aren't doing the periscope camera, that means the sensor itself, because of the optics needed to have 4X magnification that close to the sensor, the sensor is gonna be smaller and less prone or not as uh, sensitive for low light conditions. Mm -hmm. Uh, Um, Let's see here. Still can't find, I mean, their page is always, so there it is, telephoto, not a periscope. So, it is better at low light, that, as you just said. Um, and, yeah. Uh, the no, equivalent... it, it should not be better at low light. Oh, well, their no, marketing it... says the telephoto. <clears throat> up to two times better low-light photos. <laughs> than, their, than their previous, their 3X wasn't a good at low-light photos either. But compared to any other device that has a periscope camera, like Samsung's Ultra devices or the Pixel 6 Pro uh, here in the U.S., those are the main ones that most people know, um, it shouldn't take as good photos again that does come down to computational photography as well of course, what they're doing yeah. post-processing uh, but the sensors itself should be smaller which means uh, the amount of light it's able to capture isn't quite as yeah. good i will give them some credit here um only sony uh tends to do this uh where they give you like they make it very clear what the equivalent millimeter 
ranges are when it comes to their lenses. Um, so the main sensor, uh, 24 millimeters, uh, and then when you crop in for that two times telephoto, 48. That's nice. Those are ranges that I enjoy. Telephoto was 77, and that's fine. Ultra wide is 13 millimeters, and that's fine. So they were making the point uh, with these cameras that you have like the equivalent of four prime lenses or four lenses, four camera lenses on your phone. Sure, that's fine. Uh, Front-facing camera is supposed to be a little bit more enhanced. It's going to be, if I can find the front-facing camera, um, doo -doo -doo -doo. if I can just find it. In, in any case, that front-facing camera is supposed to be a little bit better in general, not only for selfies but for video. So they'd be using it for TikTok and all that stuff. Um, but speaking of that front-facing camera, the uh, what did they call it? The something island? The <laughs> the is it not digital island? The Frick, what was it called? Um, dynamic Island. Dynamic, thank you. The dynamic. dynamic Island. So Apple's gone from giving us the world's largest notch on a smartphone to giving us the world's largest punch hole display <laughs> on a smartphone. That looks... Th that's plenty of area to be cutting into my media and games. I'm just saying. Right? Uh, so it's... <laughs> I mean, honestly, it looks a thousand times better than the notch does. I mean, we don't have this large area that's connected to the side of the screen. Uh, and instead, they're giving us a larger cutout, similar to what we've seen on uh, some Huawei and Honor phones, where they have the dual camera set up on the front of the phone for uh, authenticated uh, face unlock and depth sensing on those devices, because Apple does have uh, that for face unlock. And that's why they have this larger cutout. But they've actually, I don't know, they've done something a little bit different in the design of it where they're making it a kind of unique notification or display area on the device, which is different than anything else that we've ever seen on, on the Android side. We haven't really seen any Android OEM kind of take advantage of, hey, we have this large cutout or even a smaller cutout. Let's, let's make it a little bit different so that it stands out in a different way. I actually like the design aesthetic of this. I mean, mm. it kind of blacks out the where the camera module is, lightens up uh, towards the edge of the screen uh, so that it matches, you know, whatever screen that you're on so that you know it's a separate area. But then uh, it's displaying information inside of there. There's screenshots showing, you know, your lift is coming in two minutes. Uh, and it has the lift icon in that black area and, you know, the two minutes showing on the other side. Um, it's very bubbly. Like, it's it is, just, it just going to, like, get bigger. It's like an amoeba at the top of your phone. It's just going to get it, bigger It's going to shrink and expand with, yeah, these notifications that come in. But I do think, like, you know, if you are going to have such a large cutout in your display, I think they've done the right move in doing something else with it just then letting it stand on its own, right? Mm-hmm. It yeah, feels I, more. It feels more intentional. Yeah, from a, from a UX standpoint, I can kind of I can kind of get that. Where um, if you're going to have this thing, might as well make it more useful. Um, they tried to do that with the touch bar, and now it's not a thing anymore. Well, right. it is. It's on like one model, uh, but like it's. We'll see if it goes by way of the touch bar. Yeah, but I, so <laughs> yeah, I kind of to that point, it does feel touch touch bar esque with the design aesthetic that they've gotten yeah. with it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I hope that developers don't have to go too far into um, like developing new code for just that um, 
What's it called again? I keep I keep wanting to say the Detroit dynamic Island. Dynamic Island. Island. I hope they don't it, have. It's the weirdest name. I don't know why. Like, why is it an? Am island? I in my kitchen? Why do I need an island? Like, uh, I, the... I don't. I wouldn't call it an island. I would call it a sinkhole or a black hole. Like, <laughs> it's it's black. It's not an island. An island is comes up to the surface. This things go into. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I guess on some level, it doesn't take up more space than the notch did on previous models. So I get that. No, so the like the overall space that it uses up is smaller. Uh, you do get a slightly different look and feel to it, but I don't know. Um, I, I It was about time that the notch went away, and I'm, I'm glad to see that there's a different look here because that notch was getting... It was annoying from the beginning, and it was just getting more and more annoying every year that passed that they didn't remove it. And now it's in our laptops. But <laughs> <laughs> Right. Well, now we'll get the dynamic island on our laptops, too. You know what? On a bigger screen, I can kind of see that being kind of fun. I'm not going to lie. Um, but on a phone, like, it's just going to, like, keep, like, expanding, and it's going to look contracting like... contracting all the it's time. It's going to be yeah. the freaking Venom, the Venom symbiote, like, at the top of your phone. Um, but, okay, and that's fine. As far as the phones are concerned, I think that's basically everything that I, I personally got kind of excited for. I do like this new purple color. I'm, I am down for that. Um, the return of the plus and the death of the mini. That's another thing that happened. Well, and also keeping last year's model or just the regular non-pro version on last year's A15. Mm -hmm. That's so true. If you want the new A16 processor, you do have to go with the pro variants of the device or else the regular iPhone 13s or 14, sorry, are going to be using the A15. Uh, which means you're not going to be getting that bump that we get with the new A16 chipset, which they're saying is 20% uh, less power hungry than the previous one. Um, I mean, iPhones, it depends on how you use it. it. Like on, you know, if if the battery life is good for you or not. I mean, in my personal usage, when I'm going out and doing camera tests, I'm putting it to the, to the limits uh, because the camera is probably one of the most power intensive apps on a device um, and usually the battery doesn't last more than five to six hours when i'm out doing that but i'm constantly using it but most people are able to get a full day or if not a day and a half on the pro variants and this should definitely help out a lot there yeah i agree um the lineup that they showed at the end there was pretty profound um not only are the 12 and 13 still around but then of course the se so you do have like a very wide swath and you know, not to belabor the previous point about the Sims and whatnot, but I'm just going to say if you do have a problem with eSIM or you need your physical Sims, at least for right now, there might be a, there's going to be a future coming very soon where that's not going to be that much of an issue anymore. But you do still have the 13s. You still have the 13s to be able to go to in the U.S. if that's the case. Whether or not this whole eSIM thing is going to like expand to like all markets or more markets or whatnot, that's something we're just going to have to see over the next couple of years. Um, but aside from those many different things. Um, Really iterative updates, no, nothing too radical of a change. Um, one thing that was a much more radical change came in the Apple Watches. We now have something mm -hmm. called the Apple Watch Ultra. Before we get to that, I will say it's nice to see the SE come back. To anybody who hasn't used an Apple Watch before, and I do think they are very good wearables, the SE is a great starting point. That's exactly how I got started, so that is an option. But now we have an Ultra. How many people do you know who don't even do any of the things the Ultra wants you to do are going to get the Ultra? Because <laughs> we all know one. I least. replied to somebody's tweet and they said, I have no justification for ever buying the Ultra. I am an athlete and I don't want to spend $800 on it. And I said, give it two months and I'm going to start seeing it pop up at my daughter's middle school. There's, there's going to be 
14-year-olds rocking uh. the Ultra who can't afford to buy new shoes, but they're, I mean, no, I'll take that back. They are buying the new shoes, but they can't buy, you know, the coat that they need for winter, but they'll buy new shoes and they'll have the Ultra on their wrist. And it's like, why? Mm-hmm. People are going to buy it for all the wrong reasons. They're simply going to buy it because it's the most expensive one in the lineup. All I would really want, okay, so we have an Ultra. And it's it's great for swimming. It's great for even diving. It's great for hiking and whatnot. For running, as for running. Well. There are features on it that are probably. I'm looking forward to seeing people who are way more active than I am, actually like test it out uh, against something like a Garmin. But I am wearing a Garmin right now. The thing is, I don't run. <laughs> yeah, why do you wear a Garmin? You don't need the GPS capabilities of that watch. And I don't use it. Uh, I don't use it. Um, what I do use it for, though, are its integration with my um, glucose monitor. I also use it for um, the built-in workouts that are in it. It's actually able to track pretty much every kind of workout I could want to do. And usually it's lifting and yoga. So those are my workouts. It's also quite good for meditation. They do have like breathing exercises and whatnot in there. That's also the case with the Apple Watch. Apple Fitness Plus is not... It's not insignificant. It's of good service. Um, so I'm curious to see how people are going to um, compare the Apple Watch Ultra to things like a Garmin Phoenix, for example. Uh, that all being said, um, I, I, I wish there was a Pro variant that had the same design, the same larger battery. Maybe it doesn't need the, what was it called, the L5 um, GPS. Um, you know, just take out a couple of the things that are needed, like maybe not a bur- maybe not a, a pressure meter for diving. You know, like take out a few of the things, but give the essentials for those who actually in- want to have like a fatty watch and all the benefits that that entails. I think I don't know. I'm I I understand why they've done it this way because some people will want to have the design but not the features and apple simply saying screw you if you want the design you're paying for the features and here it is mm-hmm. um it adds more complication to their lineup like imagine trying to say oh i have the new watch and this is the one i have and they're like is that the ultra no that's the regular pro version but it looks like the ultra like that's Having it look different and be different, uh, I think, is very important because then you'll get, I don't know, not to say a lot of posers trying to pose like they have the Ultra, but uh, people that simply want it for the design itself and then causing a lot of confusion because they'll see the watch and they'll think it's the Ultra. It's really not. I don't know if you... Or did I lose you somewhere along the way there? No, 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 you didn't. I get that. Um, There are going to be people who like... Because early adopters are always a thing. And a lot mm-hmm. of these features are early adopter type things. Like they, the, the Apple Watch has not been able to do some of these uh, specific tracking or metric features and whatnot. Um, so I get that. And some people are going to want it despite the fact that the most they do as far as being active is make a kale smoothie. Like that might just be <laughs> all that they do. But um, it, is, uh, it is interesting to see the trajectory of it. And I hope that some of what the Ultra provides can trickle down to other things. Um, other features like crash detection and temperature readings. Um, I thought it was interesting that they targeted the temperature readings to women's health, which is great. Um, but it's also uh, it's also a pretty useful metric for things like illness detection. So I hope maybe we might be able to see that um, sometime in the future. Um, crash detection is fine, but I did sort of it, it brought me back to a moment where I remember when I was using a certain smartwatch, a notification came up. I went to look for it. 
realized what I was doing, looked up, and I had to slam on my brakes because I almost rear-ended somebody. So the screen on your watch is a distraction too. So please be careful and don't let crash detection <laughs> don't don't let don't let the crash detection happen because the watch <laughs> did it to you. So yeah, let me just like say don't that. <laughs> don't don't crash because you were looking at your watch itself. Um, I do want to talk about the ultra a little bit more because as someone who does run on a regular basis, I always right. I use a lot of review devices that are sent to me, a lot of Wear OS devices. And anytime I run into other serious runners, I get a lot of flack from them for not owning a Garmin. And everyone knows that the Garmin's the main reason for using them is because of the GPS accuracy that they have and being able to track your runs, especially if you live in a dense urban area where you have tall buildings that block the signals of the GPS. Um, I, I went on a run maybe about a month ago in New York City and my watch told me I did like 5.6 miles when I knew I only did like 3.8 because I looked at the map later and it had no clue where I was. It lost signal with me all the time. Mm. This watch should definitely improve upon that and hopefully get it to the GPS accuracy that we see on a lot of Garmin smartwatches so that runners know how far they've actually gone or even people who ride their bike. You know, whenever you're trying to track yourself, um, you that's something that you're relying on and anyone who's really serious about their fitness should be serious about that. Um, this might give Garmin, I don't know, like Garmin might be looking to find something else to do now if this actually does deliver because the Apple watch is already as popular as it is already with its poor GPS signals. Um, and if they're able to fix that and eat some of Garmin's market share as well, something that they've been looking to do for the longest time. They've been pitching this as a fitness and running tracker for years now uh, without really having the hardware to back it up. Garmin's going to be losing a lot of market share. Uh, there's so many you know, that are still iPhone users that would want to use an Apple Watch for that, and maybe now they finally can. Yeah. Uh, let's see how the market sort of shifts to all of that. Um, that the, um, price, the price is high, though. It is high, but Garmin, Garmin Phoenixes are pretty expensive, too. They are. They are. But you have to remember, <laughs> like, c compared to anything else, uh, this is really expensive, $799. But it is a titanium body and a sapphire screen. So Yeah, it's a very uh, rugged you're, you're watch. They, rugged, they, really wanted a, they really wanted to drive that point home, like showing the, the person, like, climbing the ice mountain and then hitting it on the wall or hitting it on the mountain and all that. Um, yeah, that's all. That's all I'm saying though. Is like I was hoping that there might be a pro version at some point, maybe half a year from now, because they do that. They they update the phones sometimes in the middle of the year. Um, same thing with the watches. Maybe that's what we're going to get a pro version with some of those features, and it's maybe not. Maybe it doesn't shame you into. Because <laughs> the one thing that I thought was, what if people get the ultra and then they realize I do want to try diving? That'd be kind of cool. Like. Good for you. More power to you. You get the Ultra and you want to use some of those features for the first time ever. Don't die, <laughs> but try it out. Um, the last thing that we didn't really touch upon, but I don't think there's much to say here, is just that the AirPods got an update. And uh, the AirPods Pro, in particular, um, apparently can do two times the active noise cancellation, which I guess would be pretty cool to, to see what, what that actually sounds like. Um, mm -hmm. And there's a speaker on the case that will help you locate your AirPods if for whatever reason you misplace them or they're like stuck in the couch. Um, that made me laugh because what if one day the case is a speaker, <laughs> like a straight up speaker? <laughs> and 
I, I don't see that coming anytime soon, but I, I don't I imagine so someone's going to be able to hack it and start using the case as a speaker. <laughs> yeah, I could totally see that. Um, all right, so that, that pretty much covers most of the things. Uh, one thing in particular in my end, like I still really wanted to talk at length about the eSIM situation, but let us know what you think. Um, with the podcast being back, make sure you just uh, mention us at Pocket Now. Um, I know some of you have been asking for the show to come back and wondering where it went. Um, thank you so much for your support. Uh, we are going to go to a quick break, uh, and after that, I'm going to ask Nick, just real quick, how do you feel? IFA was a little bit of a mixed bag. Um, I, I was saying this to somebody else, but it felt like there wasn't that huge announcement that kind of s- stole the show. Uh, there were a handful of announcements that were good. We had um, a handful of mobile devices that were announced, um, two new foldable PCs, one from Lenovo and one from Acer. Acer, Asus, Asus. Asus. Uh, I get but it was, but that was that was uh, shown at CES, so it wasn't the first time we saw it. Well, it was a prototype. Like, hey, we're thinking about something like this, and now it's like yeah. real. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is final hardware. Um, we saw that. We saw uh, new devices from Huawei, new devices from Honor. Uh, we finally saw that the Asus Zenfone Nine is coming to the US officially. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's exciting. I I'm can't wait. Gonna, to... I'm probably going to have to buy it. <laughs> I, I got my hands on it for the first time. And I was like, oh, this is so adorable. I need it in my life right now. <laughs> if I don't get a review unit, I'm going to buy it anyways, because I'm a sucker for small phones. And this is 100%. the best small phone uh, for Android. Um, and a handful of other things like one of the uh, for me, one of the standouts uh, that we awarded the best of show to was uh, JBL has new Bluetooth headphones that have a display on the outside of the case, mm. which I'm like, why didn't anybody else think of this before then? Um, and I imagine by CES, we're going to see like 15 other knockoffs doing the same exact thing. It's one of those innovations where it's someone does, someone's the first one to do it. And within six months, everybody's going to be doing it. Uh, so it has a display on the outside. You can see incoming calls, text messages, uh, it's a touch screen, so you can swipe away some notifications from your smartphone. It'll also show you the settings and the battery life of the headphones themselves uh, on, and the case. Uh, so you get, uh, imagine like a little smartwatch display on the outside of your, your earbuds case. Uh, completely useless. Right? <laughs> I was about to say, it but, might not be, maybe it's not the cool. most useful thing, but like, okay, cool, Com- that's fine. Com- like. like if you don't have a smartwatch and you have this with you and I don't know, it's like having a smartwatch on your earbuds case. It's like, oh, I, mean, I, need, because, to change, I need to change the volume and then it's on the thing, right? You just, yeah, you, yeah, you can do that or you can see the battery life of all the things. Yeah, I don't know. It's, I didn't actually get a chance to play with it, um, but I... I watched a couple of videos and saw some other people playing with it and I, <laughs> it looks it looks intriguing and one of those things that was completely out of left field that you weren't expecting uh we were all expecting more foldable pcs because that's a thing that's happened in the past uh, so lenovo's actually was pretty exciting because anyone knows the first generation products in these categories always have issues with them with the overall build oh yeah uh the quality of the materials used just the Win- windows is not great it. for that form factor yet 
Yeah, and the, uh, Lenovo came out with their first one before Windows 11 was a thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's been that long. And now Windows 11 is a lot better built for multi-window displays and you know being able to dock windows at certain areas of your screen. And that's all built into it. I mean, Lenovo does have some customizations of their own on top of that to take better advantage of it. Uh, but this thing folds up into, if you want to use it laptop mode um, with an on-screen display, you can use the po bottom portion, turns into a 12-inch screen and the top portion turns into a screen. So it's like you have a 12 inch laptop with you. But if you unfold it, it's 16 inches and <laughs> you can use it in portrait or landscape mode. Uh, in in lands in portrait mode, uh, you set it up with its stand and you have the bottom of it kind of tilted away from you a little bit. But then the top, you can bend it in the middle. So that's perfectly straight with your face. And it just looks as cool as hell. And then you fold it up and you put it in a bag and it's smaller than the laptop that you're using right now, which is mm -hmm. insane. But the build quality on it is so much better than the first generation. And like the Razer smartphones, there's no longer a gap in between. You fold it up, it's completely folded. Uh, there's no internal gap because the original one had a gap. Some of the homies the over at the, um, some of the homies over at the Kando trip were talking about it because they were able to get some <clears> hands-on beforehand. And they said, yeah, it's able to fold completely flat and it's actually not very thick even mm -hmm. when it's closed That's yeah it's pretty interesting uh, 16 or 18 millimeters thick when folded completely closed mm -hmm. so i would say a little bit thicker than the galaxy fold 4 wow like that's how thin this thing is it's as thick as the fold 4 which is probably the thickest android smartphone right now but for a foldable uh that's how thick it is um I'm I'm honestly excited to get my hands on it for a review. It's one of those things where I don't get excited about a lot of laptops and devices like that in this, those categories, but I'm I'm really excited to get my hands on this and hopefully use it at a trade show one day. You know, trying to edit on a laptop, as we all know, can be extremely frustrating. But if my oh, yeah. laptop can turn into a 16-inch display, I'm I'm in heaven, man. Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to try, trying that mm -hmm. out as well. Uh, as far as like flexible, let's call it flexible or fo not foldable, but flexible displays are concerned. I do want to say it's nice to see LG and the word flex back together again. Yeah. <laughs> I've been waiting to talk the about G -flex? this. The G-Flex? Yeah, the, op the, 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 the OLED flex. That Okay, so mm -hmm. I, I love this concept. Um, and... I love so it's a monitor. It's a it's a computer monitor that you could actually like grab the sides and literally like bend it to make it an immersive curved display. I love that already. It's way too expensive, but part of the reason why it's way too expensive is because it's a forty two inch monitor. And I was just like, what was the price on it again? I saw like over five grand. Okay, I mean, so I'm using. It may have not a... been like final. It may have been a speculative price, but yeah. I, I can't really because I'm use I'm using a curved display right now it's not an oled it's an l it's an lcd mm -hmm. um it's not flexible and sometimes <laughs> sometimes i want it to be flat because the curve doesn't work well in certain situations and it it messes with your perspective sometimes i'm editing video on it and if you're not perfectly aligned with the screen it looks like something's off mm. Right, you have to be perfectly in the middle and at a certain distance for it to look just right. And sometimes I'm like, hey, I just wish I had a flat screen. So a, a 
a screen that can go from flat to curved is extremely appealing. 5,000, a little bit high for that. I, but, don't quote me on that, but, but I know it's going to be a, even a if it big is, price. Yeah. It's a first-gen device, which we know gets cheaper and cheaper and cheaper as they go on. So give it a year, give it two, give it three, and it could turn into the norm eventually, right? I would love that. Like, But, but probably like... I don't know, 27 or 32 inches, not anything over 40. My God. Like, I, I get that that was supposed to be an eye-catching size, but still. like, I mean, my, my display right now is a 42-inch. Yeah, too much for me, honestly. Like, but, I mean, it's perfect when you, you have a huge editing space for editing video. Or I have, honestly, I, I put three screen or three windows side by side and have my workspace set up that way. So, I mean, you get used to it, but then sometimes I'm like, eh, it's a little bit too much. Exactly. The the Samsung M8 that I have is a 32-inch, and even that is pushing it a little bit, honestly. Um, like, the 32-inch 30, the 30, the size is perfect because it's 4K, and I have a lot of space for the editing, like you said. But even then, it's like, I'm like squinting at the screen sometimes because the pixel density is, like, too high. Well, change um, the pixel density then. Come on. Yeah, I, I've tried, but I'm trying to, like, <laughs> use it. You're I'm a techie. To use... You should be able to figure that out. Well, no, I, I am, but I'm trying to use it for, like, its full capabilities. Um, in any case, I think that'll pretty much do it for everything. I did want to make sure we talked a little bit about IFA. I wasn't expecting it to be a full show about IFA, mainly because, I mean, there wasn't a ton. There's some cool things, but there wasn't a ton. It's just more like I kept getting messages from all of you guys that I should have been there. <laughs> you should have, because there were multiple people that were at the previous event that you were at that Who then showed, showed up. up for IFA as well. So uh, I, uh, you, you I could have made have... the trip, Josh. I could have. In all honesty, I needed the break. Um, Idaho was nice for the Kando trip. Hopefully everyone enjoyed that sort of on-location show from last week. Um, but yeah, I needed, like, I, even though Idaho is literally only an hour and a half away, once I got home, I was like, you know what? I think I made the right choice. As, as much FOMO as I have for all of you guys having fun in Berlin, I was like, I need this break. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff that's about to happen. I need this break. <laughs> I did miss you guys, though, and thank you for messaging me the way that you did. Yeah, it was a good show. Um, it was the first time back in Berlin for me since 2019, which was the last official in-person, like completely open event. Uh, they have had uh, the following year, they did have an event that was in person with like 200 people showing up. Um, it wasn't a ghost town. And unlike CES and MWC earlier this year, there were no restrictions uh on the show floor so nobody had to wear masks they were people walking around with masks and you know protecting themselves as as they should or felt comfortable with but it was it felt like as what a trade show should feel like mm -hmm. um back to normal which makes me excited for ces coming up in january and again going back to mwc in barcelona in february we just got to get our updated boosters. That's all. <laughs> yeah, get your booster shot. <laughs> all right. Well, Nick, thank you so much once again. Um, even as editor-in-chief of Fandroid talking about uh, Apple stuff. <laughs> hey, um, I, I tasked all my writers today to write iPhone articles. So, oh, there you uh, go. We're, we're doing iPhone coverage, too, because that's what the people want. Well, there you go. Um, aside from iPhone coverage, anything else you want to plug before I call it on this episode? Uh, no. That, well, I one last thing I'm going to talk about uh, is the one of the things i saw at ifa was the first production solid semi-solid state battery for a home backup system which would translate into semi-solid state batteries into evs as well nice i'm really excited to see 
this battery technology evolve? And the conversations I've had with people about it is, oh, it's going to change the way cars work. It's going to change the way, you know, these larger battery systems work by having a battery density that's 42% higher than what we traditionally see. I flipped the question on them like, why would you not put this in a smartphone? Mm. Imagine every smartphone has an extra 42% extra battery with the battery cell that's the same size. So you have a 5,000 milliamp hour battery. Eh, how about now you have a 7,000 milliamp hour battery? Yeah. In the same sure. size. Like that's like, I'm glad you can drive a little bit further with your EV. Congratulations. How about my battery can go from a day to two days, you know, just like that without anything changing externally. As someone who has an EV, I would like more range though. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Okay. Whatever. I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited to see this battery technology come because it is going to have an impact on the EV market, but I yes. think it's actually going to have a better impact on our data, day-to-day lives with everything that has a battery in it getting significantly more battery life which means we can make the electronics smaller or we can get better battery life all all around so that's the last thing i want to talk about yeah Uh, yeah but yeah i mean if you if you have any other cool technologies that you've seen lately i mean we just talked about foldable devices but that's honestly the only thing we've talked about for the last couple years right as far as new technologies we should get excited about batteries yeah, I agree. Um, battery, battery charge. Well, charging has been a fat. The fast charging has been a thing for a long time now. But like, yes, I agree with you. Like, advancements in batteries are something that are sorely needed. Um, we can look forward to all of that. Uh, head over to fandroid.com and also to their YouTube channel to see everything that Nick is doing. Um, as far as I'm concerned, uh, all of the links. Well, for the both of us, all of the links will be in the show notes, and I'll go through them in the outro starting now. All of the links that you would need to find myself, Nick Gray, and Fandroid are in the show notes. From there, though, we have PocketNow over at PocketNow.com for all of the latest headlines. You can find PocketNow on social media at PocketNow is the handle across all of those networks. And then, of course, you can head over to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash PocketNow, for video content that's coming out pretty much every single day. With all of that said, though, I am going to go ahead and call it on this episode of the PocketNow Weekly Podcast. Thank you again for hanging out with us today. And uh, yeah, we will see you in the next one.